Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are continuing our series in Romans. This is the 11th uh, lesson that we're, we've had and uh, dealing with uh, chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, turn uh, to chapter 7. Uh, you're going to notice that I put these sheets on the tables. When we get to uh, the last section, we're going to we're going to switch over and use the King James Version. I like the language. And it's a very, uh, I don't want to say convoluted, but it, it, it requires careful reading. We'll say it that way. And so I think it's, it's going to helpful, be helpful for us to all be on the same version when we get to uh, these uh, final verses. So uh, you'll find those on your tables, and there's probably not enough for everybody to have one that we can share. Uh, so chapter 7. As I've told you in the past, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Romans. I guess my, uh, probably, well, maybe chapter 8 is my favorite, but chapter 7 is a, a close favorite. And um, I hope it, you know, I hope this lesson, it's a very complicated theme for me. And so I hope that it, it comes across well this morning. Uh, I've studied and studied and studied this week, but uh, I'll probably still get tongue-tied, so you'll have to bear with me. We're going to be talking about the law, His grace, and our sin. That's the content of chapter 7. This is uh, throughout these, these chapters since uh, chapter 3, or 3 and a half, I guess, Paul begins making logical arguments and uh, asking rhetorical questions. He continues to do so in chapter 7, and each argument has... Uh, logically built upon the last argument and this chapter is no different so let's read the first 12 verses uh, then we'll we'll come back and make our comments from there and then we'll go forward and deal with the last section uh, which is the section that I have printed for you in the old King James language so look if you will in Romans chapter 7 verse 1 and let's read together or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, through the, uh, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, when you, uh, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear the fruit of God, or, or bear fruit to God. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we, uh, what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin reviewed, uh, 
or revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Now, that's just clear as a bell, isn't it? <laughs> Paul. Paul is a complica- complicated guy. Could you imagine sitting down and having uh, a debate with this guy? I mean, he would just run circles around you. He, he, he writes like a lawyer, uh, and very, very precise, but he builds one argument upon the other. But, but when you go back and you, and you start to piece it together and, and really break it down and study it, he, he makes some, some very great points. And... and Really, for me at least, by the time I break it down to those little individual arguments, he's not saying anything that, none, that most of us, I would think, just would readily agree with. But he, he kind of breaks it down into its, its individual parts so that we understand the workings of sin and law and grace. And so that's kind of what we're going to take a look at this morning. And he begins in verses 1 through 6, and he talks about the law and its dominion. So when I say that word dominion, what, what comes to your mind? What does dominion mean to you? Authority, power, maybe control, right? So this, this overreaching control, I think maybe of a, a wicked king who has dominion over a realm uh, where he just controls each and every little thing in his in his kingdom, and and I and I think that's a good word picture for us when we talk about sin's dominion or, or the law and its dominion rather. And so he points out something very obvious, and he says that man is under the dominion of the law as long as he is alive. And he and he takes a very practical illustration for us, doesn't he? So he steps aside. Now I want to point out uh, David Guzik. And he understands the language better than I, although I'm not sure I 100% agree with him on this point, uh, as much as I brag on him. But he, he said here, the language, the Koine Greek, when it says the law, it, that, that word the in the phrase is, is not necessary. And so in other words, the scripture, what Paul is really saying here is law has dominion. Now, by that, we should imply that he's, Paul is not talking about just the Levitical law. He's talking about just law as a principle. I don't know that I agree with that 100%. I think the principle's okay. I don't think we do harm to the scriptures by bringing that up. But as I read, uh, that, that works in the very first part. As I read further down, though, uh, the text seems to refer more to the Levitical laws. It talks about covetousness and things like that. So I don't know, but but I think there's at least some value to give that some thought because the principle is here that law does have dominion over us, doesn't it, while we're alive. Whether we're talking about physical law, uh, um, uh, state law, uh, spiritual law, we're just bound by law, aren't we, as we're alive and working in this flesh. I mean, the law of gravity is more and more apparent to me each and every year. Uh, Enough said on that, right? Uh, so all these things weighed on us, but the law has dominion on us. We are subject to it, in other words. And so this is the first point that Paul wants to make, that because it's subject, we understand that it has dominion over us. We, we can't control it. It controls us. So he gives this very practical example uh, of a married couple in that while 
Uh, and, and note, guys, that he points out that the man dies, not the woman. And all the women said, amen. Yeah, okay. Twice he talks about the husband dying. Nobody said amen. I was waiting on that. Uh, but he says as long as the, the husband is alive, well, the law says she's bound to him. And so if she marries another, it's adultery. But what changes that? The death, the death of the husband. That death brings the, it, it releases the dominion of the law. See? So a very practical example. And, and we say, well, of course, we all know that and we understand that. But he gives this very practical example so that we can relate it to the spiritual truth. And that's why he spells it out so carefully here. Remember, we talked last week, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, if we go back in the previous chapter and looked at verses 3 through 10, and we're not going to read them for sake of time, but we talked about the death of Christ was a physical death and therefore a literal death. Remember, we went through that whole process. We all agreed and believed that Christ died a physical death on this earth and that he, that he literally died and that he literally rose again and he literally ascended. And so Paul is making this very literal uh, uh, illustration yet again. But uh, we pointed out, and Paul pointed out, that uh, our joining in him in a spiritual death at the time of salvation is not just a metaphor, but it, that is literal too. And it's no less literal just because it's a spiritual thing and not a physical thing. See, Paul says that th this is a literal happening. And so he's he now in this chapter, he's kind of following up on that train of thought. And he's, and he's using this very practical example of once the husband dies, then the law's dominion is released. And he says, therefore, verse 4, there's two therefores in this passage. The first one's in verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, because that was true, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Again, he's not speaking in metaphors. That, that, that's a fallacy that we sometimes have as we're reading because we just want to spiritualize everything to the point that we think it's not real. And Paul's not speaking in metaphors. He's saying this is real. He, Therefore, my brother, you also have become dead to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. So through the death of Christ, when you become a part of that, and that's what happens at salvation, you become a part of that death. You accept that death. How, what, how, do, we, how do we get saved? Romans chapter 10. We, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we believe on his death, his burial, his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin. And he says, but when you become a part of that, uh, you are dead to the lost dominion, that you may be married to another, to him that was raised from the dead. So the same one who died was raised from the dead. So you become a part of both the death and of the resurrection at the time of salvation. And through that, and because of that, the law's dominion is released from you. That sounds great, right? I still got a problem. <laughs> And so do you, because I still have a problem with sin. And I still feel guilt for that. 
And I still feel bad about that. And, and so just as soon as Paul gives me this little nugget, I think, oh, that's awesome. But then my conscience says, wait a minute, big boy. He says you're free from the law, but it sure doesn't feel like it. Anybody else? Or is it just me up here this morning? Yeah, anybody else have a guilty conscience now and again? Okay, a couple of you honest. Most of you are just staring at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I can start over. <laughs> so chapter 7, that one reason I love chapter 7, it eventually gets to where it deals with that. He doesn't just leave us hanging with this, this, this nugget of truth. It's true, but it doesn't feel true, if I'm honest. And that's, that, that's how I have to approach it. I can look at a great theological truth, but it doesn't feel true to me because I still have guilt and shame and regret. See? And so there's something else going on. If lost dominion is supposed to be released from me, why do I still have all this, this other stuff, this other baggage, see? And so we've got to explore that and look into that. That's where we're headed. All right. So let's look at verses 7 through uh, 12 now, and, and we'll, we'll deal with this section. So the first section, verses 1 through 6, the law and its dominion. Uh, verses 7 through 12, we're going to talk about the law has a purpose. So let's read these verses again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, of course not, right? And that's kind of what he ends. That's how he ends. This is rhetorical. Certainly not. He says, so if, it, if the law is not sin, it must have a purpose. What is its purpose? And he says, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. So all that makes perfect sense to me. All right? Know the law, the, 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 the law in and of itself is not the sin. Uh, it, it would kind of be like a... a if you, if you, how many of you guys still play sports? Softball, anything? A couple of us. I used to. I finally wised up. Uh, those last few years when I play, every once in a while, you know, I'd, I'd be feeling good one night. And I think I could do more than I, I, I really could. My mind would be going really fast, but my body's still going really slow. And I, maybe I'd try to make one of those Pete Rose slides into second base, you know head first you know and in my mind it looks really good but then when the slide's over I get up and my arms really hurting bad <laughs> and I'm moving much slower than even I was before and I try to throw that ball and my arm really says oh don't throw that that hurts don't do that so then suppose I go to the doctor and they put that arm they say oh we and they put it in the x-ray and the x-ray machine shows a break and I've broken my arm now, would it make any sense for me to get mad at the x-ray machine? <laughs> Stupid x-ray machine broke my arm. That's kind of what it's saying here. It's not the law. The law just reveals your sin. The law is not the problem. Your sin's the problem, but the law is what teaches us about the problem. It reveals the problem to us. And so it's not that the law is sin, but it reveals sin. This is Paul's, what he's illustrating here and spelling it out. Now, one question is like, Paul, why are you taking the time to tell us this? We know this. We get it. We understand it. It's obvious. 
But he's setting up for the final argument of the chapter. Uh, He's stating these obvious things to build upon his problem with the law and with sin, which comes in the final section. So he's going into great detail. So uh, is is the law and and its dominion sinful? No. Uh, It simply reveals, but the law seeks to punish sin. He also talks about that. It says that, the uh, verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity, notice that, remember what I've taught you? Sin is not just a list of do's and don'ts, bad things, but it's a power in this earth. It, it, it's a real power. It's a working power. Um, it takes opportunity, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment to produce, uh, produce in me all manner of evil desire. So sin produces this evil desire. Well, how do you know that it's evil? How do you know that the desire is evil? The law. We just talked about it. The law said it's evil. And, and it's kind of, I, almost, I almost got a bunch of cookie jars and set them on the table with sign, and put signs on them and duct tape that said, Did not, do not open. Oh. How cruel would that have been? And I would have done it, not because I'm not cruel, but it would have been expensive, and I'm cheap, so I didn't do it. <laughs> but that, that's kind of how it is. It produces it. The law says don't do it, right? What does that make us want to do? <laughs> See, now you're on board. Good job, class. Everybody got honest with me. That, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? The law says thou shalt not. And the thou that says, well, I want to shout. <laughs> the law says, you should do this. And the law, ah, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. See, the, the law does bring that upon us. And so we, it, he's building to this struggle that we're going to read about here in just a moment that is in each and every one of us. I told you. Uh, a week or two ago, I preached a, a message, one a sermon once, on my problem with sin. And the problem was, I like it. And I hate that I like it at the same time. <laughs> and this, this is where Paul's headed. That's what Paul's about to tell us. In very complicated Dr. Zeus-style language. Uh, he's going to spell it out for us. But he's laying these foundations first so that we understand when he talks about the law. When he talks about sin, he talks about its dominion. All these things are within our minds and we're thinking about these things in their proper context. So now let's talk about it. Uh, Paul's problem with sin and our problem too, by the way. So find these sheets. If you have them, share them with your neighbor if you need to. I want us to all read these together. All right. You don't have to read out loud, but I want you looking at the page. Because he's going to go back and forth and back and forth with his argument or his disposition, I should say, his discourse on his problem with sin. Paul, the the Apostle Paul, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul had a real problem with sin. This guy who gave his body, who sacrificed himself, who traveled the populated world of his day and planted churches and wrote doctrine and stood for Christ, he had a problem with sin. And so do you. So we need to quit denying that. 
We need to face up to this so that we can learn from it and grow and attack it. So let's read the verses here. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25 in the King James. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That word carnal, we'll pause right here and then we'll read the rest. It it really, it it doesn't, sometimes refers to sin, but it really just means like a human, material, organic, if you will. I'm, I'm, I'm carnal, sold under sin. In other words, I'm, I'm not of a power, I'm not angel, I'm not deity, I'm just, I'm just man. Alright? Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more that uh, I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You see that last verse? That's the summation. With my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. What's he saying there? What what does he mean with my mind I serve the law of God? I want to do the right thing. He has a desire. Believer, do you have that desire in you? You don't have to raise your hand. If you're a believer in Christ, you have that desire in you. That you want to do the right thing. And I do too. But I'm still living in this old flesh. And this flesh has its own law and its own desire. And it drives me. It's a constant battle. Folks, if you deny that, you're lying to yourself. And that's going to be with you, I'm sorry, until either you leave this earth by the clots or the clouds, as the old preachers used to say. Either by the grave or the rapture. You're, you're stuck with it. You're, you're in this war. It's not going to get easier. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can make it easier on yourself by doing the right thing, but this thing's not going away. If the Apostle Paul was dealing with it, you think... Uh, this guy's ever going to overcome? No. Not going to happen. And there's other places in Scripture that talks about it. You know, they, they, they used to give the old illustration. I've probably heard it a thousand times because you know how old preachers are. They like to use the same illustrations over and over again. And if there's a good one, they'll all hear it and they'll all start using it. Uh, they call them fillers. But it's a pretty good one. So the, the missionary... Uh, would go out to the old Indian chief and ask him, how are things going? 
And the Indian chief would say, oh, great struggle within me. He said, it's, it's like two great dogs warring within me, a big white dog and a big black dog, constantly fighting within me. And the missionary would say, well, which dog's going to win? And the chief would say, the one that I feed the most. And that's the struggle. That's it. The struggle's not going away, but the one that you feed the most, that that's what's going to win. If you do the right things, folks, if you'll take time to get in the Word of God, if you'll take time to meditate, if you'll take time to pray, to, to and I'm talking about sacrifice time. That's where the difficulty comes in. It's not, it's not just going to happen. You're not just going to wake up and say, oh, yeah. the sun, the sun being woke me up 30 minutes early, and I feel wonderful. I just feel like, oh, I just want to jump in the Word of God. It just, oh, I just feel so spiritual. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> Tomorrow's Monday morning. Anybody think that that's going to happen for anybody? <laughs> no. What's going to happen? I overslept again. <laughs> Why didn't you wake me up? Is the coffee ready? We've got to get up the door and we're going to run, 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 run. Folks, you, you've got, I'm talking about you've got to make this a priority. If you don't make things a priority, they're not going to happen. And that's true in anything. But it's absolutely true in, in, in this more so than, than anything else. You've got to make it a priority. And, and I don't know how to, how to get you to a place where you do that because I'm still working on getting myself to that place. I'm just being honest with you. And i got to stand up here every week and do this. And I still struggle to find time. Can you believe that? There's times on Saturday night when I'm thinking, I didn't write the outline. I hadn't done, you know, I, maybe I, I read on Monday, but I, I put it down and I forgot. There's times when I'm running behind. I didn't make time. I didn't make it a priority. And I have to get in there, oh, i got to give them something. Maybe they won't notice. <laughs> I hope they didn't study either. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but, but it's true. There's a struggle there, and this is what Paul is talking about in this, in this back and forth language. For in 18, for I know that, that in me, in my, there's nothing good. There's nothing good within me that's going to do that. So if there's nothing good in me, what do I have to do? I've got to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. I, and I, the only way to do that, that I know of, is to make it a priority. To sacrifice something else. Some time. And that's what it comes down to. I've got to get away from family. I've got to get away from friends. I've got to get away from other good things. For a, for a time. For a period of time. And I'm not talking about to the point of neglect. I'm not asking you to leave your family or to uh, refuse your children to the point of neglect. But folks, it would be very healthy for some of you to tell your children, no, I need to get along with God. For the next 30 minutes, daddy's got to get in the Word of God. That'd be a one, that'd probably, that might be the best thing for your children to ever see. Because they'll learn from that. They'll learn by what you are not by what you say. And folks, if we're going to if we're going to survive in this life, if we're going to thrive, we've got to make this a priority. We've got to do it because there is 
And again, he's not talking about salvation here. This, the, the book of Romans is written to whom? The church. The church at Rome. The believers. See, he talks about too. Before he was saved, this wasn't a problem. It, obviously, sin can get you into other problems, but it wasn't the dominion of the law because the law didn't apply. Right. Because before he had, you know, his encounter with Christ, he was right in his own eyes. He didn't have the same struggle. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't until he was presented with Christ that he was like, oh, my, I'm a wretch. Yep. And it just, it, nobody had to convince him of anything. He just had to be presented with the truth <clears> of the matter and all the good he thought he was. And, and that's a, a tremendous point because Paul had just as much zeal before he was saved, he had zeal for the wrong things. He was setting about to destroy the church, to kill as many Christians as he could. And he had as much zeal for but he wasn't under the condemnation of the law. He wasn't subject to it. I mean, now I know that in the end he would have been. He would have, he would have died and gone to a devil's hell apart from Christ. But once we receive Christ, we are really subject to the laws of Christ. See? And, 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 and why, I'm sorry, I've got that back. We are freed from the laws of Christ in its penalty because we apply the blood of Christ. But then we have this other law within us, this law of the flesh, that still desires the things that are carnal. And so the struggle begins. The struggle begins, and it will not end. Now, on that note... Take heart and come back next week because chapter 8 begins, there's therefore now no condemnation. See, he's going to talk about the relief. The relief is on the way. The relief is coming. This struggle is hard in this lifetime. It's not going away. But the relief is coming. Why? By this same death that freed us from the law. This, this, this lack of condemnation. All this struggle within me that I'm having, my flesh wanting the wrong things and, and pulling me the wrong way and creating evil desires within me, guess what? There's no condemnation. Why? Because of the cross. So chapter 7 deals with the struggle on this earth. Chapter 8, in essence, talks about the relief that's on the way. So please come back next week. I love you. Get out of here. <laughs>